Stick a pony in me pocket I'll fetch the suitcase from the van Cause if you want the best is that you don't ask questions Then brother, I'm your man Cause where it all comes from is a mystery It's like the changing of the seasons on the tides of the sea But he's the one that's driving me berserk Why do only fools and horses work? La 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 Bonjour everybody and welcome to the latest episode of Jolly Boys Podcast with me, Tom. Good evening, James. Bailey. Ed and it's au revoir. Au revoir. <laughs> au revoir to you. We're going to be talking about uh, Cash and Curry. Now this is our second attempt at discussing this episode. Um, the first one just was a bit, a bit of a mess but we've got loads coming up in this, this show. What have we got, Jim? Well, we were lucky enough to get hold of Daniel Hill who plays Stephen. Uh, the mega over yuppie yeah in the Jolly Boys and he was happy wasn't he yeah really, fantastic really guy. good chat brilliant loads of stories to tell lots of interesting bits and bobs that we hadn't really known about in depth answers to the things we were asking and uh, and we also got a head to head quiz coming up with one of our regular listeners Andrew Duthie yeah so what what do we call it what, it was supposedly challenge Tom, but I think that's not going to. But the listeners will find out how that went, and I don't know if that's it should be called challenge Tom. Might have to put a bit of mastermind. We might have to have we take it in turns to mm-hmm. to um, have a quiz with the uh, listeners to see how Tom gets on. Um, stay tuned to the end of the podcast to see how Tom. What was that big example for Tom? <laughs> just it's been, right. like, it's been long. Be here. There's the door. You can cut it. It's, it's, it's a long day, mate. Happy. It's a Sunday night, <laughs> isn't it? Be like, I think this, that sounded a bit lethargic. <laughs> and you're like, uh, yeah, That'd be me, yeah. <sighs> so we've, cash and curry. Yeah, the second Talk to time me. we've done it. Uh, first time, if I remember rightly, the first time we did it, we just interviewed Sue Holdness, and we we're a little bit giddy. Yeah, a bit mentally drained. I think this is the worst. So we're going to deliver you the best episode you've ever heard today, we guaranteed. We, we are got, well rested. We got an exclusive from Sue, and I think it's fair to say we got an exclusive from Daniel as well. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's right. right. Everyone's looking at me. <laughs> uh, general synopsis is Dell helps out in a feud over the ownership of a statue. But the real reason behind his involvement is the £2,000 he plans to pocket for acting as a go-between. Rodney reluctantly agrees to join Dell on the dodgy deal, but the brothers are in are about to realise they're not the only con artists in town. So they they kind of meet their match, I think. Rodney, he only calls him Rodney. <laughs> I think this is the, the best episode out of the first three. Easily. We've listened easily. To. There's a good story behind good it. Twists. Yeah, there is a nice twist to it. You do wonder, you know, they, they sold, they got rid of all of their stock, and it, you can see it's literally all of their stock has gone as well. Um, yeah. I love this episode because it's got so much mystery, swings and roundabouts, twists and turns. It's almost like a little thriller, isn't it, in mm. 30 minutes about what goes on. It's got so many elements to it. Well, aired September 22nd, 1981, brought us the third episode in the series. I think out of whole of series one, this is probably possibly my favourite. It's come a long way, hasn't it? I think if you look at episode one of series one to episode three, series one, it's a huge improvement of writing and yeah. character yeah. development and everything else. Dell is more Dell, isn't he? He's even more. He's got a bit more about him, I think. And that happened really quickly. Yeah, I think so. Episode three. Anyway, so that he appears to be in a. Well, he's in a uh, Indian restaurant. Rodney's come to his rescue. This is how this is how the episode opens up, and Dell's called him. To look to, to he looks the part. He's got he's got like a driver, and um, he's I just. I don't think he's in an Indian restaurant, is he? No, it's like a some sort it's of a club. club. It is a You're club, isn't it? A bit further on, I am yeah. getting mixed up. You're right. That. Start again. So Dell is at an event. It looks like he's had a few, and he seems to be in some sort of business uh, with a gentleman. And he he looks like he's about to leave. When um, obviously there's a bit of an altercation in the car park, to say the least. Eagle-eyed viewers will actually see the poster as they walk, as uh, you first see Dell, and it's the name. It's got the Guildhall name, isn't it? Something Mark. We'll see it in a moment because we're watching this as we air this in a few seconds. Chamber and Trade 
dinner dance, and it's the Peckham on. It's hard to. It's, it's not very legible. It's in London. It's in yeah. London somewhere. <clears throat> it's like quite a posh affair. There's people yeah. walking behind Dell wearing suits in really. Ex- Really you can just dresses. imagine that Dell was completely intolerable in that as well, in a way sort of puffing on a cigar, yeah. taking advantage of the free booze that they might have had on offer. Yeah. He is wearing a cool suit, though. Yeah, actually, I do yeah. like the suit. And he's a similar... I like the stuff he wears. His body language is yeah, similar <coughs> to a Royal Flush, mm. where he's had a few mm. uh, black tie event in, in that as well. Yeah, you can imagine exactly what's happened before Rodney arrives, <laughs> if you've yeah. seen the Royal Flush. Mm. It's a nice place, though, isn't it? So the reason Rodney has come to Dale's rescue is because he's had too much to drink and he can't drive home. But I think there's more to it than that, isn't there? Because he's about to do a dodgy deal out in the car park. What car was Dale due to drive home? A Vauxhall Velux. Which you never see, which I find bizarre. I thought it was a Vauxhall. That's a Velux. Didn't we just see it at the stand? Well, I don't know. I think, I think so. Is that a Velux? You, you don't, certainly don't see him drive it. Because in late, well, late, later series, he has the Prattmobile, doesn't he? Which... We assume that's his only second car, but yeah. Rodney's a bit upset, isn't he, that he's been disturbed from his date. Um, you got So in a moment they're going to the car park. Um to Rodney's about to take Dale home. And his one of Dale's contacts, Vim or Malik, is with him at this point. <laughs> Mr. Ram. Yeah. So you can tell that Dale Boy's been absolutely intolerable and sort of um what's that guy's name who's Who's Malik. Malik. Like is is sort of targeted him at this point, so he's a ranger. He's going to walk out of this place with a local businessman who he thinks has probably got a bit of cash. And you know, Delboy looks like he's quite well off there. He probably looks like he's got a few grand on the mm-hmm. hip. So they immediate. It looks like he's immediately been targeted. Yeah, he's an easy target. Looking mm-hmm. like that, I can't help but feel sorry for him now, knowing what he's going to be going through. Yeah, it's all perception, isn't it? Well, he's it, trying to take advantage of the of the other other two, isn't he? Mm. But they just know. I think they they got this sort of uh, opinion of Western um, Brits at that time that would think that they're sort of inferior to them in some way, yeah. or they're not as clever. But up or they for could, a quick quid, yeah. Or they could prey on their religious beliefs and things like that. And that's exactly what Dale does, isn't it? The altercation now between uh, Mr. Ram, who's just entered the scene in his bodyguard, and Dell. I, I love how Dell stands his ground in this scene. He's remarkably sober now, isn't he? <laughs> it's a matter of seconds. He's a second Dan. And what yeah. is Dell? Something in, or- in origami. <laughs> he uses his wit to outsmart the muscle, which is typical Dell. And it's amazing how Rodney sort of stood there with his arms folded, looking all macho, and he's the first yeah. one to run away. <laughs> Rodney is a bit of a wimp, so it's quite amazing that he has sort of hung around there. What I don't understand is they obviously wouldn't have driven off and left Dale. It's a bit, yeah, it's a bit of a. I think it's just showing the whole plonkerism of yeah, Rodney, isn't it? He had a direct order from Dale, and he's like, right, I better do it then. Yeah. <laughs> he's just gone. Not the first time he's done that, though, is it? No. Yeah. What happened? <laughs> so this is the. Now the they're going to go to have something to eat in a in a takeaway in a restaurant. And Dale gets to know Mr. Ram. Mr. Ram is playing Dale into his hands right now, isn't he? Obviously, you don't know that when you first watch this. He's got him, whoa, like that. He's got by the... So this is this is working perfectly in their favour, but what would have happened if they would have waited for Dale to get in the car and driven off? That would have been the end to their plan. They wouldn't have been able to seduce him when he's on his own in the restaurant. I guess so, but I, I suppose um, uh, Vimal Malik uh, yeah. previously... Unseen would have been kept, kept kept in touch over telephone with Mr. Ram and say, "Look, I've gotten drunk. Come out, come down to the club or wherever the, the Guild Hall." Or Vimal might have spilled a line that he's got this statue that um, <clears throat> oh, Mr. Oh, yeah, Ram that's really yeah. wants, and, yeah. and they're, they're and they're conning multiple people at the same time, aren't they? So yeah. if that didn't work with Dale, you just got to assume they would have moved on to the next person. But Dale, if he's got the if he can sniff a a quick quid, he'll be on it, wouldn't he? It's such a clever story. I know John Sullivan used to write about what he knew, but this must have gone on. There must have been a similar con story that he knew. He knew because it's such a, an amazing thing to dream up to write as a script. The whole concept of the story. Yeah. So Rodney's just come rushing into the uh, restaurant after getting a, a a message from Grandad, which got lost <laughs> in translation. Dillboy's been captured by the Indians. <laughs> <laughs> So he's just joined them and I think they're about to eat. 
in this scene, Rodney's just armed himself with a spoon. Yeah. <laughs> now the plot is starting to open up now, so we know that there's um, a little bit. Mister Arm gives a bit of background on him and Vimal Malik's um, family history and how they've been at war with each other. It all centres around uh, a piece of, um, well, um, an heirloom, if you like, a statue of Kuera. He's one of India's greatest cricketers. <laughs> That's it. And um, ultimately, apparently, the families can't ever meet to, to you know to do an exchange. But as most fans will see, the the obvious area is they've already met in the car park. But was that not staged by then? It was. It was like quite tense, and it wasn't as if they were. Yeah, I suppose in in, 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 in Dale's world, yeah, that is an accidental meeting. Oh, I can't meet up with you, and then they. You know, they departed, didn't they? What I've noticed is, though, that it looks like it was the end of that party. <clears throat> Dale was being picked up, so he would have stayed right to the end. What was Vimal Malik arriving for? Well, it doesn't matter. You could, for all Dale knows, he's just, there's some, you know, nightcap thing going on. I don't there's like a hotel nearby and you're just having a nightcap. Maybe Vimal's arrival was to make Dale see that this person who Mr. Ram's talking about is real, so we get to see him and experience him and see what he's like as a person, so he's more likely to fall for the con. When you first watched this episode, which, whose side did you veer to? Did you think, because I always felt um, Vimal was like Naturally. the poor guy, yeah. but he's, his family is the higher class, but he's his flat appears quite modest, doesn't it? Do you mean his hotel? It's a hotel, sorry. Yeah, but... Mr. Rum's got a chip on his shoulder, so I never felt sorry for him. Or no, that's what I'm saying. I, I've always thought Vimal was the better guy for some reason. But he had the statue. It's like a Christmas tree in the background. Yeah. Uh, Love that. <laughs> that's definitely, oh, is that baubles or is that candles? No, a Christmas tree. Carols? <laughs> I know what it is. <laughs> Merry Christmas, listeners. Right now, it's not far, not not, not long until Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> why not? Why not download your loved ones a free podcast? <laughs> you are like that Christmas card. <laughs> <laughs> we know that Dell um, is, you know, has got an opportunity now, hasn't he? He knows that they won't exchange. What are you laughing at? Sorry, laughing to him about Merry Christmas. Don't know where that came from. So we're we're at the point. We're let you start. So we're at the point of the episode now where Dow's ears are perked up because he has just realised that there's a money making opportunity for him in upcoming events. He does very well though because Dow Dow. You know, rather cunningly, is wasn't it a thousand pounds originally? And he said it's going to cost two thousand pounds to um, Mr. Bimal Malik will offer two thousand pounds. Yeah, so he's getting a thousand pounds, get a thousand pound profit his from meddling. Mr. Ram. But I think he does really well. I don't know how, how long the period of him selling is when we see that montage of him selling, but he does quite well to get the two grand he needs. I mean, he sold everything. Mm. Flat- quite, I know that two grand was a lot of money, was a lot more money. That's a lot of money, but. Oh, that is an insane amount. You know, he's, he must have sold just about every possession in the flat. He knew he could do it, though, didn't he? Hotel, definitely a hotel. It's such quick thinking on Dale's behalf, though, because you can see that he's already got the plan figured out in his mind when he's mm. trying to speak to uh, mm. Vimor about it. Of course, the Vimor, Mr. Ram, they know all about Dale already, so they know exactly what he's doing, so they must be thinking, great, he's... he's yeah, he's, he's taking he's the bait. He's taking the bait. And Rodney's just sat there none the wiser <laughs> for what's going on. Enjoying his tea. He's full of morals, though, isn't he, Rodders? Full of morals. Yeah. He, ultim- yeah. It's a very 80s room. A lot of the, the stuff Dale sells he, on the markets, he, he'll, I think there's one scene where he takes a whole bunch of like posh coats and goes into the store to sell them, doesn't he? Yeah. See, in a moment, watching the scene where they're talking to Vimmel in his hotel room it's interesting looking back on it now now that we all know that is a hotel room that all the shots are quite close up so you don't ever see a wide angle shot of the room therefore it might give away that the fact that it's actually a hotel room and not his flat or his apartment i wonder what dale would have made of the fact that he's in a hotel but for some reason like it's a eureka moment i i just thought it was a, a modest little flat even though you clearly see it's a hotel when he comes out of the uh so that's the like a, a living room of a hotel then is it 
Yeah, it's true. It's got a bookshop. Books yeah, it just seems like a house. Like yeah, when, when you're watching this as a young kid, if you get into Fools and Horses early, I just I just assumed it was a little modest flat. Yeah. But I thought, how are you, this rich guy from a higher class? I thought he was just a lodger, just like a temporary lodger. It must be a room though, because there's a kettle up there plugged in. Yeah. But am uh, I right in thinking at the end? At the end, I'm skipping forward a little bit. But at the end, when they come back, they see everything's empty. Well, the yeah, that is left. Is that it around his toes? How did they get in then? How did he get in? Oh boy, you guess that he's just knocking at the door and there's no answer. Look through the yeah. window, yeah. Or he went to reception and said that they've checked out. Now, ultimately, I don't know if the listeners would agree, but the first series, that there are some good episodes, and for me, Falls and Horses ages really well, and as, as the series progresses, there's a lot more to talk about. But in these, early, in these early episodes, there is really only one main plot per episode, so really, you can only really commentate what's going on around that. So, uh, you know... I. So we're coming up to the gag where Del says to Vimal Malik about the globe, which has been in his family for a long time, and it meant the world to him. And he starts stroking Rodney's head, and Rodney looks really <laughs> pissed off. He's got his arms crossed. He just looks really unhappy to be there. Is he, like, pulling it slightly as well? Just to... No, he's not. Is he? I just think it's brilliant. I don't know. It's just... Rod- Rodney's, <laughs> Rodney's playing along with Del's little, little lie. Sarcastically. Clearly unhappy to be a part of it until Dell decides to give him sixty forty or something like that. There's such a lot of dialogue in this episode of to and fro, but ultimately it really is just a case of here's the statue, try and raise two grand for it, and that's it. Yeah. You know, I mean, like I said, like you said, <laughs> <laughs> we're tired, aren't we? Rodney sat there shaking his head with his arms folded. He doesn't want anything to do with the deal. We're, we're led to believe Mr. Arm owns the an Indian restaurant, aren't we? Several. Several, yeah. Proprietor. Mr. Ram, played by Renu Setner, has been in a few um, mainstream films, really, in the last, certainly in the last 10, 20 years. Bridget Jones, Spore War Z, the, the BBC sitcom Citizen Khan. It's been quite a few things. Who was he in World War Z? In World War Z, he A zombie. Was, uh, what's it say here? I'm just looking at my research. He was, I think he was part of an Israeli camp. Uh, okay. Oh, he, yeah. And I, I don't know if he's any one specific. Well, the actor Vimal Malik, played by Ahmed Khalil, he has been... Oh, my voice went there. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's, he's... I don't know. He's been not around. What is it you said on the last, on the last podcast? Um, my kids are see those. Sorry, uh, uh, you can still find them. I'll start. Like, I'll start again. Uh, <laughs> um, how much were the flats? Um, <laughs> okay, seriously, guys. Oh God, I'm gonna die. <laughs> Whereas Finn or Malik, played by Ahmed Khalil, um, he hasn't doesn't appear to be in much in recent times. He's been in Doctor <laughs> Who. God's <laughs> <laughs> sake, I was on a roll there. Oh. Finn or Malik, played by Ahmed Khalil, he's not been doesn't appear to be in as much recently. Doctor Who, um, one of the original Sherlock's, uh, EastEnders, The Bill. But yeah, I, I, I don't know if he is. Maybe he's retired, but there's very few characters in this episode. Find stuff the old. Well, Rodney, Vimal Malik, Mr. Ram, and then the proprietor right at the end, who. I am the proprietor. That guy, played by Barbara Barty. And he, um, he has been in he Ain't Half Hot Mum. That's all I can tell you. But again, there's nothing in the last 20 years he's been in, not according to my sources, imdb.com. Other sources available. It's all right, we're not the BBC. No, no. But now they're thinking he's got to get two grand. They 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 bid him with well, what's his name? Mr. Ram. Vimal Malik. Mr. Ram or Vimal Malik. Vimal Malik. Yeah, Vimal's in the hotel. Okay. On your bike. The now bank. they're gonna do the see. It's, it's quite a different scene. The, the bank. The else. bank that says yes said on your bike. Yeah. What about loans? Sorry, do that bit again. So the, you were actually the second montage in series one. If I'm right by saying so. Yeah, I think so. I think it's like one. They ditch it after that, really, don't they? they yes, do it again. I do quite enjoy them. They're quite only fours and horses, aren't they? I couldn't. I, I think it was fine for the first few episodes, but 
Ronnie Hazelhurst. Hazelhurst? Ronnie Hazelhurst uh, composed the original theme. And I, I like it. Right thing to do. I think, obviously, re-releases, you don't get that now, but those those who with the original VHS or, you know. When uh, when Della Ronnie walk into the, the, the curry house, um, the pennies, pennies drop, doesn't it, when they can't get hold of Mr. Rahm. The proprietor there um, is getting a little bit shirty with him because, you know, Dell is not getting the hint that there's no such person. I you feel so guilty. Well, I feel so bad for Delaronte. They, they've been conned out of all that money, but serves them right as well. With all due respect, you know, they, it's a bit they, harsh, were, they were trying to con them out. Of, you know, at the time, a thousand pound. You can see as well. They just sold their TV from the flat, but it looks like their flat actually opens out onto. Yeah, I was just thinking. <coughs> excuse me. Doesn't Normally, look like their flat. At no, all. it doesn't. It looks like it's more of like a uh, with like a what's it called? Balcony. And out, and out, yeah, an outdoor entrance. Mm. Do you know what I mean? All this jewelry. Look at that jewelry. But that gold will probably wash off in like, if it's raining. Like, can you imagine that gold? Yeah. Spray paint on. Seems to get a little money for it though, do Maybe it's real gold. They say diamonds are a girl's best friend, but zircon could be bloody good. <laughs> So we've now arrived at the scene where Dell falls from the steps with the statue in his hand. There's actually one of my favourite scenes in probably series one because it's shot so well where the camera's panning between Rodney and Dell and you just see Rodney's face wincing as Dell tumbles down the steps in slow motion. And um, you can see clearly from the from the clip that it's actually David Jason doing all the stunt work and he does it so flawlessly. Yeah, when you watch this for the first time, you think this is how it's going to go wrong. Dell's going to smash it. Yeah. Absolutely. That's going to be You're it. so convinced he's going to smash the yeah, pieces. Nice twist. So when he catches it, you think, oh, okay. Everything is going to work out well yeah, for him. everything's going to be all right. When you, when you first watched this, though, I mean, I know it be years ago, but, you know, no Only Falls an episode, Only Falls an episode, <laughs> no Only Falls and Horses episode ends well. At the time, I thought, yeah, brilliant, home and dry. They've got, the, you know, they've got the statue. They're about to get, be a thousand pound richer, or in profit anyway. I do not know how this would have ended at the time. Maybe I just thought they'll get the money and there'll be some sort of catch, but I didn't think, didn't see it coming personally. Well, once Dale catches it, the statue at the bottom thing, you think, well, that's that's weird. That's, I thought it was going to break. You know, that was it. Surely that was going to be the end of the episode, but no. Something else is happening. I mean, it turns out that the uh, con man has become the victim. If Dale and Rodney had been more eagle-eyed, they would have seen those statues in the curry house the first time they were there because they were all on display, aren't they? That's a good point. Clearly not. Point, obviously, yeah. when Dell was drunk, you won't remember. Rodney was a bit more sober, but I don't suppose they need to clock that at the time because that that aspect wasn't important to them. But they were talking about the statue. But they wouldn't know what it looks like until they saw yeah, it. Yeah, that's true. If if only they made this episode an extra thirty minutes longer, so it was a four hour episode, they could have maybe investigated chasing down Mister Rum and Vimal Malik. Vimal Malik. We spoke to him about. You know, what would you if you were to, if you could have another episode extended, like Chain Gang, where yeah. what, what what happened? They overhear Chain... someone else being conned in a similar way, yeah. and they go track them down. Or Mother Nature's Son, which is one of the later Christmas specials. Dell would clearly have been sent to prison for selling tap water. Mm. You know, the amount of fraud and the amount of money they made. They were clearly well off, weren't they? At that point, what would have happened in the next episode, kind of thing? Leave it to imagination, all that. We can talk about that another time, but yeah. I wonder what would happen in the next episode of uh, Sky's the Limit. Oh, yeah, with the plane. <laughs> Dan and Rodney die. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> but with this particular episode, Cash and Curry, um, they've probably got no possessions left in the flat. They've probably got no money. I don't know if they've still got the £500 Busby sent to them in the phone. Well, that's he's... the thing as well, because he pulls that out you know, in Series 2 when he's playing Boise. Life and death situation, though, with yeah. Dale Classis... Probably not. He'd be like, what's the what Dale would have thought if I can't raise the money, I can't raise the money, and we just carry on with life. But you know. Or maybe he thought he'd be able to buy back all the possessions that he pawned. Mm. So we're what yeah, we're watching the scene now where Vimal Malik and Mr. Rama driving off together and they're just laughing and congratulating each other. Yeah, exploiting Dell and Rodney. Did they mention they could go to Bristol as well as uh, I think they say Cardiff, 
Bristol, Cardiff, Manchester, Birmingham, Birmingham. or maybe even Liverpool. Uh, he's gone to the hotel. He's <laughs> walking out of the hotel, all lightheaded. Nice little laugh. Nice little bit of laughter from the audience there. Uh, re- reminiscing the fall. <clears throat> well, what do you score that episode out of 10 then? I give it a strong 8 easily. Do you? Yeah, I really like it. If you, but if you put Jolly Boys as a 9.5-10, would you really give this an 8? 7.2. Truthfully, Hand on Heart, I love Jolly Boys outing. It's definitely one of my favourites, but I don't love everything about it. I think it peaks in my interest of what parts I like about it. I think this is quite consistent. <laughs> everything's really good, and everything's interesting, and it captivates you all the way through. Well, in the context of just Series 1, then, I'd, I'd probably give it a 6 or 7, then. I know. I'd give it an 8. What about you, James? 7.2 for me. Yeah. I was going to say 7. Yeah, not too bad. Not too, not the best, but makes me laugh. And I can watch it over and over again. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, we are delighted to be joined by Daniel Hill, who played Stephen for a couple of episodes in Only Fools and Horses and the Jolly Boys Outing. Hello. Hello, Daniel. This is James. How are you? How are you? Very well, thank you. Um, um, I'm here with uh, Tom, Ed and Bailey. Hi, Daniel. Nice Tom, to meet you. Ed and Bailey. Hi, Tom. Hi. Ed and Bailey. Hi, Daniel. Hi. Thank you so much for coming uh, on our podcast. That's really kind of you. Thank you very much. How did you, how were you approached for the show? Was it through your wife or did John Sullivan come watch you in a production we, or something? We, yeah, because I've been on a... Um, I remember, yeah. Uh, so Olivia, my wife, was the production manager on oh, okay. the film that preceded the Jolly Boys outing, the one that was set in the opera house, and um, also went down to the country and was in the mansion. And I was offered a part in that one, but sadly I couldn't do it because I was, I was doing another show. And um, I thought, that's it, I won't go off with another one. You know, they'll find better people. They won't, they won't go to me. Anyway, we were on holiday with our... Um, our eldest daughter, Natasha, over in France. And at that time, there were no sort of mobile phones around, nothing. And uh, my agent had said, look, I, I need to be able to contact you. And I said, no, you won't. You won't need to. I, I'm going to be in this place in France, which is, you can't get hold of me. So yeah, it's no point. There's no point. And then somehow, I don't know how she did it, but she got the number about of the place where we were staying. Oh, and this, um, this, uh, this lady who used to work for Tony Blair, um, who'd been his um, PA, said, your agent's on the phone. And oh, wow. Said, what? And she said, oh, I got on the phone, and lovely Joy said to me, um, look, the Only Fools want you to do this um, Christmas episode, and uh, but they won't do it. They, won't, they don't want you to say yes until they've read the scenes to you over the phone. And I said, they don't need to do that, I'll do it. And they said, they will not do it until they've read them to you. So they then rang me up uh, again in the house in France. And um, a lovely chap who is the production manager on that show with a chap called Ollie, who was a delight, mm. and Tony Dow, who directed it with family next to it. And, and Ollie ra- read the actual whole of the, um, the scene with the Trivial Pursuit over the phone, <laughs> about 20 minutes worth. And I couldn't stop laughing. No, yeah, we have the same reaction now. I said, stop, stop. I'll do it. I'll do it. We're going to repeat that whole thing. Daniel? It really was. It was just, it was, it was extraordinary. And so I then flew back to England with Olivia and Natasha. Mm. And um, we came back. I had a costume fitting. We did a bit of rehearsal. We then shot the first bit. And um, well, I then flew back to France, and then we stayed for the rest of the you know week, and then we flew back again, and then we shot the end, and then we did the final studio. But I, I can't tell you. And when we actually did the trivial pursuit scene, I can see it now. I can see myself. Um, we did all of um, Nick and David's stuff um, yeah. in the morning, and everybody else. Mm. And in the afternoon, after we had lunch at television centre. They um, they put up the the set behind me and um, and they and they Nick and David Roxy off the hook. Then they could do anything they wanted because they knew they'd done their stuff. Yeah. And I then did uh, a sort of close up two shot with the lovely girl that played my wife. And um, and I sat there and uh, and as I was doing the line, um, Nick 
and David, David especially, was guffawing. <laughs> we call it. He was coughing all the way through. That 20 minutes of them absolutely sort of chewing rags and going and crying with laughter. So it was lovely. Did you... I had to get through it. Yeah, and of course. Just as we were coming to near the end of the actual um, recording, about 20 minutes, I noticed that at the corner of my eye that Gareth Gwenlan, who was the exec producer, yeah. producer, also was standing by the camera, which is really off-putting because he was also head of comedy. And I, so I thought, just carry on, Dan. just <laughs> carry on, don't stop, carry on. And so I was there and I said, look, you know, and I, was, I was saying something about, you know, um, oh, you know, uh, you know, yeah, no, I, you know, I'm not a yuppie, you know, but all that stuff. And, he <laughs> said, um, and I could see Gareth was pulling a handkerchief out of his breast <laughs> pocket. And he got the handkerchief. Um, he had tears running down his eye and he shoved the handkerchief into his mouth. <laughs> That's amazing. Laughing out loud. And, so, and, then, and again, all that was going on while I was doing the scene. Amazing. All the way through. And then, so, and they said, all right, that's a cut, that's a cut, we're just going to check it through. And wow. so Gareth, Gareth said to me, that was very, very funny. <laughs> It, it was very good. So, Dan, did you have any idea that sort of 30 years later, the Jolly Boys outing would still be such a talked about and favourite episode by so many people and so many generations? I knew, when I read the script through fully, hmm. I, I knew, I mean, John, who is, John, it's, it's rare, but I, I hate it when people are called geniuses, mm. and, you know, but it's rare when you have a combination of things, like mm. John Sullivan and Nick and David, and all the characters that became such icons, as you know. Yeah. And it's rare that all those things can come together and just make something which you just know it. And I knew, I knew that when we were recording the Trivial Pursuit scene, I thought, this is really, really good. It's mm. really good. The whole thing is really good. Now, forget me, I'm just me. But the whole thing, I just thought, this is really, really, really good. And you know it. You just know it. Although sometimes, you know, you get it wrong. But I remember what, when, when we're in the studio, actually doing it in front of the audience, right at the end, and they were playing through the trivial pursuit scene. Um, I thought, and they were just, they were laughing so much. They even had to stop recording at one point. <laughs> it's really good. This is really, really, really good. And and again, to do what John did, which is to make a 90-minute film, and often, you know, as, as you'd have heard other people say, mm. he hadn't written half of it by the time you'd started. Wow. He, would, he, he was still writing scenes. That commanded from Liv, uh, my wife, that when, when she was production manager in the year before, and I was off the part in that one. And um, and she said, you know, John's still saying, you know, well, we're going to be here, we're going to be there. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, but that's off the course. But sometimes you just know that something Something special, yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah, it was. It, it was a great time. I loved them all. I, I thought it was wonderful. Oh, yeah. We wish that you could have actually joined the, the on the Beano 2, Margate. I, I think secretly. I, I did too. Yeah. I did too. I think that would have been some real good comedy there. Margate, mate. I yeah. Margate. Yeah, I was very lucky. I, I can't complain. No. And, you know, and, uh, but, but also, everybody that was on that show was just so loyal. They were so yeah. loyal to the whole show. You know, Roger, maybe who I, who I knew a bit, um, and uh, Paul, who, you know, uh, that most of them were absolutely... <laughs> totally loyal to the show and they, it was almost like it was um I mean, you would have had all this before but it was like a brotherhood and mm. they they was almost like they kept each other's backs as well and there was a real sense of you know of, of involvement but you know but on sitcoms that rarely happens you know i, I was in a couple of very long running ones and what tends to happen is that you start out as being so desperate for the work that you're all clinging to the wreckage and you're, mm. you're grabbing onto, you know, instant friendships in the cast. And then it tends to fall apart towards the end and the scripts might not be as good or whatever. But 
that with Only Fools. And they did the, the pilot for Only Fools on the same day that I was doing a pilot for another show. Oh, really? And Yeah. And I, and I remember it being in. And I, and I remember thinking, cripes, you know. And, uh, and I popped in and I looked in, uh, you know, uh, on the studio. And I thought, God, it's a lot better than the one I'm in. Yeah, which didn't go. I, I, I thought that, you know, I, I was going to choose one. I said, that's the one. But, you know, sitcoms, the great, great, great sitcoms, you know, um, and they cannot necessarily be the most, the best written, but if you get a team of actors that bond mm. and create characters which play off each other, and if you have a writer like John um, and other writers, but John especially, who was able to make hay from that, and be very loyal to those actors. It's very easy when shows are on for a very long time that, you know, when some actors might become more expensive, you have to cut the numbers down. Mm. And with John, and I think Gareth and Tony and everybody else who was involved on any Falls, and Ray when he was doing it originally, mm. um, there was a tremendous loyalty, which most of the time in the business it just doesn't exist especially now especially now but it is a very very different business to what any of us yeah, yeah. and uh, and and that is what made it very very special it's always the ones that you know people go into it going oh god i don't know what i'm doing really or you know i should be doing theater or whatever or i should be doing drama but well and and david especially and Nick, but Nick was much younger, obviously. And yeah. Nick, David really led that show fantastically well. And everybody um, just did what they did. And I, and I was so lucky to be part of it. I can't believe it. Yeah. I, 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 it was really, really lucky. I think it was my favourite show of everything I've ever done. Uh, I, and, I, you know, of all the long series and everything, it was just really special. You know, my, no, it was a really special episode. Yeah. No, D- Daniel, it's re- it's really nice for us to hear that you've got such fond memories of Only Fools yeah. and Horses. Yeah, it's great. It's just great. And you know what? I'm now, forget it, 62. And I tell you, I still <laughs> get recognised. Oh, I do. Of course you do. You're Stephen. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Yeah, do you, do you, we agree, we agree. Daniel, do you ever re-watch that episode if it's on the television? Do you ever find yourself re-watching the episode if they're airing it? Or... You know well, I, I caught my daughter watching it a few years back, and I, and I, and I said, oh, what are you watching? She went, I'm watching you, and then he thought, and I went, oh, God, <laughs> And again, you just, you just know when something really good works. Mm. You know, I mean, as an actor, you know, there's something that sometimes happens with theatre plays where there's a group of actors that you're with and actresses where you really bond. And it might it might be a great show, it might be brilliant writing, but usually the cast will have bonded and everybody's just at a point which it just, everybody gives them their best without mm. really trying too hard. And I, but to do that over the amount of years that Danny Fools have been made, and for John to have the consistency in his writing, um, to do that is unheard of. It's unheard of. Yeah. You cannot keep that quality up over multiple, multiple, multiple series. You can't I agree. Do it. it takes a real unique craftsmanship. And, um, and, yeah. I, and I... All the guys that were on it, you know, every time, you know, Paul, Paul oh, lovely Paul Barber, yeah. uh, who I did a lovely play with, and Paul and I, you know, it's really special. They're a, they're a really special bunch. I, I, I'm not just saying that. They, they really are. And I, yeah. I've got such admiration for them. And they're all terrific actors. Yeah. Wonderful actors. And that's what sometimes um, is forgotten, that, you know, yeah, we say, oh, you've got to cast stars, you've got yeah. to cast stars, you've got to cast stars. The truth is, you've got to cast great actors who can do it, who can then bond together mm. and have each other's backs. 
yeah. not think Absolutely. I'm going to be the one that's going to come out, come away with this, and be yeah, everybody's going to look at me. Yeah. Yeah. On, I, I have to ask on the subject yeah. of other actors and other yeah. shows. Are there any sitcoms or comedies in particular out yeah. at the moment that you are gripped to, or you you can't, you know, you just can't help yourself but to watch? Um, no, I, I I think I think I think we're going through a real. <laughs> Yeah, mm. yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, and I think that's something to do with. Um, if I'm completely honest, I think, I think it's lost its way. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And the re- one of the reasons why um, things like Any Fools and Jolly Boys Outing and other really terrific comedies, you know, I was in Waiting for God. For yeah. Years, yeah. Bloody no place like home. That they one of the reasons why they keep going back to them or trying to make new pilots of them is there's you have to trust actors to do the job yeah. and and comics are fantastic and what they do with stand-up and everything is brilliant it's wonderful and sometimes you can put a comic into a cast with other actors and if they are empathetic or like each other enough you know and the comics always you know sometimes they may feel insecure about um having to work with other people as opposed to standing on their own on a, on a, with a microphone, then it can work. But if you just have stand-ups alone, it rarely, rarely, rarely can work. Yeah. Mm. They have, they're so individual and they have, they're constantly thinking, you know, um, am I going to get it? Are they going to laugh? And Terry Scott, who I worked with uh, on a couple of occasions, was very like that. And I think um, and, it, and when I watch some shows at the moment, I, I worry that the and the companies should remain nameless, but you know the obvious ones. I think they're not trusting the fact that actors are the ones who give you very long-running series. Mm, yeah. They are the ones who are used to creating companies and bonding and being together. It's that word and, again, isn't it, that you mentioned earlier? The loyalty, isn't it? Absolutely right. And you know, and the, because when you when you well, you know, without sounding really stupid, when you take on really good writing and really good character, which um, huge amounts of the laughter is off the response that the audience have to the reaction between the characters or the dilemma yeah. that you know the main character is trying to get from A to B and how they're going to get through it and. But what they want is a sort of status quo. They want the, whatever you begin with and end with, things can happen and change in the middle. But what they want in the end is status quo. They want it to go back to what it was with a little tweak. Mm. So, you know, um, well, that makes it sound a bit weird. But it's <laughs> no, not, it's, it's about <clears throat> story is everything and character is everything. And if you only have um, brilliant stand-ups um, doing it, it can't work. And if you have too, too much of anything, it can't work. And I think there's a real problem at the moment that they're not trusting, mm. they're certainly not trusting the writers to deliver and they're not trusting actors to do what they do. No. Yeah, uh, quality's gone down, isn't it? I mean... Well, I, 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 I just know that it's, it happens all the time. You know, sometimes we lose our way. Sometimes mm. it takes real courage to stand up and say, you know, look, we've got to go back to... And that doesn't mean to say you make things old-fashioned. It's just trusting. I don't think they're trusting actors anymore to actually deliver what we do. No, and 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 they're not giving the opportunity to young actors, middle-aged actors, or even old git like me. Well, everything's very sanitised now, isn't it? You know. Yeah, and I think it's it's so. You have to take risks. The reason why you do pilots is that, you know, it's a risk. Mm. You're, you're literally yeah. grabbing all these people together and, you know, you're shoving them into a studio after a week and you're allowing the audience to have a go with it. You might make six and two might go or one might go or none might go. But what you have to do is take the risk to do it. And once you start, you know, having too many uh, people um, having a say in what goes in the pot. Yeah. It, you can't, it's impossible to be creative. Mm. It's impossible to, so, so then you have, you know, 
shows like this. Man, I don't know. Um, what, what is it Brown's know, Boys? The wonderful Irish comic. Who That's it. It's terrific. And the reason why it, why that show works is because it's a very, very old-fashioned variety mm. show. That's what it is. But they have sitcom elements within it. Mm. But, you know, it, it's... And that works very well. But that really is... It's a complete one-off. And I, and I don't think that you can base the whole, you know, comedy television output on that or basing it around one person and then the rest of the people just being mates of mates of mates who are either comics yeah. or whatever. Daniel, do you, do you... are the best at delivering a situation comedy. Do you recall any deleted scenes during the filming of Jolly Boys, especially no, in the flat no, scene? nothing. No, they, they were... No, they kept everything in. They kept everything. John, <laughs> John only wrote about 90 minutes. And also, it was just, you know, it was brilliant. I've still got my script, you know. You, and I, and I was saying to somebody, you know, who asked me, you know, you know, one of the sort of uh, newspapers said, um, do you keep your script? And I said, you know, I've kept, I've kept, I've kept one script forever. And I said, and others I'm fond of, but the Jolly Boys outing. And I said, Oh God, were you in only four? I said, yeah, I was. I said, you know, that is the one I kept. And I put it in a plastic folder, which is not like me at all. No. I put it in a plastic folder and I said to the kids, Natasha, Sebastian and Claudia, I said, if I drop dead, keep that keep one. Keep that, yeah. Chuck everything else away. Well, you so, played the role so well, Daniel, though. It yeah. was absolutely perfectly done, I, I think. And, yeah. you know, you're a real uh, fan's favourite. I, I would say oh, Stephen's, probably yeah. res- Stephen's probably responsible for... Dale Boy becoming the yuppie that he really wanted to be yeah, towards yeah, the end of the yeah, 80s. Right. But um, yeah. acting runs in the family because I hear your son Sebastian's in uh, at the Shaw yeah. Theatre in London yeah. at the moment. Is that he right? He is. He's at the Shaw Theatre in London, which is, you know, you can get on, you can get out of King's Cross Tube, yeah. just walk down the road. And it's literally this beautiful, beautiful theatre, seats about 400. And he's in this panto with Gemma and Artem, uh, uh, who's in. Um, uh, Emmerdale Farm. Oh, yes. He was in Holby City. But yeah. it's a brilliant, for him. brilliant pantomime. It's a fantastic game and a wonderful uh, comedian. And they're all, it's loads of dancing and things, but it's a fantastic story. And Seb, Sebastian, my boy, he's a big singer and fantastic actor. Oh, wow. And he's too handsome. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> but six foot one and looks dropped all good. They're gorgeous, I'm told. And, <laughs> and he's playing the prince, and he also is the beast. And then he's, well, I, I hope he's wow. to the prince again at the end. But he's terribly good in it. And there's lovely singing and everything. And I know it's on till December the 30th. But I'd love yeah. people to go along. Oh, yeah, yeah. we must, well. must get your t- tickets, listeners, yeah. straight away. Yeah, yeah, get on the on. phone. Yeah, get, get along. You know, on, if they're not sold out already. All over the country now, wherever you are, all over the world. Come on, yeah. Come you on, know, it makes sense. Come on. Get out of the short theatre, mm-hmm. see my boy, Sebastian. Absolutely. Daniel, That's thank you so much for your time. It's been a real honour and a privilege to have you on a podcast. Thank you so I much. I loved it. You can come back and ask me anything. Oh, that's really kind of you. Right. We'll have yeah. you back on again next time. Yeah. And if you're ever in frame, Daniel, you're welcome to come over for a cup of tea. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I will. I'll surprise you. I love fruit. I oh, great. Beautiful. Thank you, Game of Trivial mate. Pursuits, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can we just have a quick Science and Nature from you? <laughs> science and Nature. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Daniel. Thank you so much. He's a female swan cord. What? Uh, yeah. Uh, 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 uh. No, 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 no. See, I know the line still. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> so do we. <laughs> I know. Listen, lads. Thanks, Daniel. so much. Really appreciate it. Thank and you so much. everybody listening, what a great podcast this is. Oh, oh thank, thank you. you very much. You're very kind. Well, Total start. Right, lads. Cheers, Daniel. Have a great Christmas. Christmas. Have a great Christmas. Just eat. I'll see you down the pub. Yeah, definitely <laughs> see you down the... Cheers, Daniel. Yeah, have a great Christmas. Merry Christmas. Bye-bye. Bonjour. Eyes down for a full house somewhere. Off and running. So we are joined by Andrew, who um, is a listener to the podcast. He'd like to challenge Tom. Andrew, good evening. How are you? I'm not so bad. Thank Thanks for joining us. Uh, you're an Only Fools and Horses fan. What's your favourite episode? Massive. Massive. Oh, well, oh, I may know the question. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think a little bit like um, I mentioned, you guys mentioned in one of your earlier podcasts, one of the things that um, I quite like the earlier 30 minute mm-hmm. episodes uh, more than the longer ones. I, re- I, I really love the longer ones, obviously, but the 
30 minute ones it almost seems like there's always something going on that has to be sort of resolved in that episode and it just sort of seems a bit sort of quicker and stuff oh, yeah. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know what it is I just always so I mean I, I, my favourite is probably Friday the 14th when they go to Boyce's oh yes Boyce's cottage for a spot of salmon fishing no yeah. salmon then, no <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I think that one's probably my favourite episode but to be honest with you I, I, I don't tend to have favourite episodes I just sort no. of have lots no, of favourite moments yeah like, I love the Jolly Boys out. I mean, that's the classic, isn't it? They're oh, yeah. Who doesn't love that? Um, you know, there's just lots, lots of other stuff. I mean, you know, Danger UXD, Blood Doll stuff. Um, yeah. The falling through the bar thing is one of those things that is great, but I think it's just been repeated so many yeah. times. No, it's been done to death now, isn't it? It's, yeah. It was great, but... Even as no, a massive Only Fours and Horses fan. I mean, I'll defend it to the hilt, but I think because I've seen it so many times... <laughs> Every comedy's got one of those moments where, like, in the yeah. office, the bread dance people were mentioned, but ultimately yeah. it's, it's but just... The thing is, I mean, yeah, getting off topic slightly, I and mean, the thing with the bread dance, like, it's not even the funniest bit in the show. I no. don't get that. I think <laughs> it's the bit in the episode, to be honest, but yeah. With the falling through the bar. It's just when visuals, it's great, though, isn't it? It's brilliant timing, but it's not the funniest thing in that episode. No. So, yeah. Right, I think we're ready to make well, a Well, hang on, I ain't got a... You don't, you don't need a buzzer because it's only you versus Andrew. I keep forgetting that. Right, okay. <clears throat> so, so, sorry, Andrew. So, this is I'll how I have to shout out my name or something. What, no, what we're going to ask you, and then we'll ask Tom, and then we'll ask you, and then we'll ask Tom, okay? Okay, cool. Right, okay. Okay, you're going to like this question, Andrew. Are you ready? Can you okay. hear me okay? Yeah, no, we're all good. We're okay. all good, yeah. Let's do this. Okay, question one. What name did the axe murderer give when introducing himself to the trotters oh man so I'm really annoyed because I watched Cash and Carrier earlier because I thought that might be the quiz <laughs> 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 oh. we'll have to uh, hurry you there Andrew, no, I think. I'm going to have to pass I don't know not, not even a guess no I can't even I said a guess Tom Sorry, do, you, do you know Tom do you know what no oh, Tom. I, I'd have to guess I, a detective um I think it's Detective Andrew something, or Chris, no, it's a guess, I don't know. Okay, so, so the answer to that question is Chief Robson. No, oh, now you say it. He's the gamekeeper. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Chief Robinson. You palonka. Yeah. Right. I, would, I still wouldn't have got it. Robson or Robinson. No, right. <laughs> okay, this question is for Tom. What was the name of the gamekeeper in Friday the 14th? Um, are these all these questions? Are all these questions Friday the fourteenth? Um, I his name is. Oh, hang on. Um, are all these questions going to be about war, Gareth? <laughs> um, um, it's on the end of my brain now. It is on the end of my brain. I can picture the guy. You fool! That's not so and so. That's. He's got asthma. Yeah, I can't remember his yeah. name. Apparently, I'm yeah. a, a wizard. Quizzes. No, pass. I don't know. Andrew, do you know? Do you know what I don't? I okay. really don't. It's going well. Okay, no worries. His name was Tom, Tom Witten. <laughs> no. Tom Witten. Tom Witten, the gamekeeper. Tom, Tom Witten, the gamekeeper, yeah. Yeah, yeah I reckon, again, right. like, now you say it, I, I can recall yeah. it, but no. He's kicking himself later. <laughs> okay, question two for you, Andrew. Okay, in okay. the episode The Frog's Legacy, what was yeah. Freddy Robdahl's alias name? Uh, okay. You can do this. Uh, yeah, I can do it. Hang on. It was on the on the coffin as well. That's a clue. Uh, Tip of the old tongue there. Um, uh, (laughs) Stuck at the back of my brain there. What you don't? This is perfect. You You don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. It's just on the. Someone give him a clue. I think Tom knows Um, it. No, I can't. It, I, I, as soon as I hear it, I'm going to... Can, can I answer? Annoyed. Tom, Tom, do you know the answer? Freddie Robdahl. Yeah. No. No, that's wrong, I'm afraid. Alfred, no, Broderick. Yeah, Alfred, Alfred Broderick. Oh, Alfred that was his alias, because yeah. it was uh, anagram. That's it. Yeah. It's an anagram. So far, it's nil, nil all. Nil, nil, nil. nil. All questions question. in. No, that's, you've only had one, haven't you, Tom? To each? You've only you might have only one. Okay. It's Okay, right, okay. We're, in it, we're in it together. We're both doing equally as bad. Don't worry. <clears throat> okay, question for Tom. Go ahead, go in, for in the Frog's Legacy, name the item 
or the items Rodney stole from Woolworths during a shopping trip with Aunt Rini. Oh, okay, so I can picture the scene. Um, oh. Right, okay, so straight away I, I've forgotten, but I'm just trying to... So it's how many items? Two items? Four items? It just, just, the question just says items. Pa um, pack of cigarettes. Um... I can I can pitch this is this is useless. I No. No I, I just can't think. I'll hand over. Andrew, do you know? Is there like a tin of something? Not um, quite. Or a loaf of bread or something? No. <laughs> do you give up, Tom? Yeah, I don't know. I mean I'll, I'll... three bottles of scent or packet of weights and a Helen Shapiro record. Would any of you got that? Well, where like, have you found this question? I know. Well, I think, <laughs> actually, my girlfriend done them. <laughs> I think she's got a little bit too hard on them. I wouldn't have um, got those. What right. about you, Ed? Would you got Ed? Not a chance. Would you, Jim? No way. No. Go on. Okay, question for Andrew. Yeah. In the Frog's Legacy, how much gold did Freddy get away with? Uh, Tom's looking excited. I think I know. I, think, I, think, I, I thought I know the knew the previous one. So but this was not in today's four, money. I, know that much. I think I know. Four, I know that much. But yeah. I don't know what? That's all I can six. think of. That's all that's in my head. Six what? Six pound. Yeah, six pound. Let's go with that. I don't, I don't, I can't genuinely can't remember. So it's not that's Andrew. Six, it's not. It's not in weight. It's in value. That's... If that helps. It's in value. Yeah. So pound wise, money. Not pound, pound weight. Is it? Is it? Oh right, money wise. Okay, wasn't it two million pound or? No, no. Tom's just. Uh, Tom, Tom thinks he knows. I think I know. Well. I think if that's your is that your final answer. Well. Yeah, I'm gonna go with that. I'm okay. probably totally wrong. Well, my. Uh, well, you need to say if that's the right one. No, that, that's incorrect. Tom, yeah. what, what have you got? Quarter of a million in pounds, yes. gold bullion. Yeah, that's correct. That's 250,000. Oh, one of us got a question right at last. <laughs> Thank God for that. Well, it's, how many questions left? I think there's only about... There's only two more, I think. Oh, three more. Three oh, more. Okay. Tom. Ice down for a full house somewhere. Off and running. <laughs> okay, Tom. In the Frog's Legacy, what was the brand name of the computers Dow Boy is selling? Um, Raja, Raha, Raja or something. Raja Computers, R A J A H, I think. Yeah, yeah, Tom, I'll give you that. Well done. Yeah, he's got it. Finally got the form. That's it. One, <laughs> two, one nil. No, you don't get a point for those wrong ones. Why not? Okay. No, sorry. No, that's not how it works. I'm afraid, Tom. Okay, Andrew, in the Royal Flush. Yeah. What is Victoria's father's title? Uh, the Duke of Mailbury. Yes! Yeah, yeah, get, get, in there, get in there, my son. Get a new mail for you, get. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? It's only because I remember that from the line about the pub. Yeah. He yeah, only runs. He only owns a pub. <laughs> <laughs> right, back to business. Like a question for Tom. In the Royal Flush, how much was Victoria ch charging for her fish painting? I think um, people don't pay that much around here for no, a car. No, I, I, I got the figure fifty pounds on my head. I think that's eighty-five. Okay, how much is that one? Is eighty-five pounds the answer? You just no, heard, you just <laughs> heard, uh, Tom, no, no. Tom's cheating, but the answer was eighty-five pounds. Did you get that one, Andrew? Uh, I didn't actually. I, was, I actually went for more than that. I thought it was something like. 100 or 200. Yeah, you should have handed that over. Yeah, well, actually, we got it wrong there. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have got it, I wouldn't have got it. Right, final question. It's still one all. Fingers on buzzers. This is it. The okay. winner takes it all. Okay, so what? We're, so we're we... Andrew now, aren't we? Yeah. One more, is that yes. one more each? Yeah. yeah. Okay, Tom, Andrew. I'm getting too <laughs> no, no pressure, but you can, knock you can knock Tom off of the top spot with this question. Of his perch. Yeah. <laughs> okay, in the Royal Flush, what is Victoria's full name? Oh, jeez. Lady Victoria. Yeah. Uh, 
No googling. <laughs> yeah, how do we know when you're not <laughs> yeah. at home on your phone? I'm googling all of this. Well, it's one thing for a start. Nate mentioned it, Google. I should have googled all the Would others. Would I lie yeah. to you? Victoria. Uh, no, well, it's obviously not Malbury. That's the place, isn't it? She's it's the Duke of Malbury. Mm. Like, no, I don't know. Okay, no worries. Well, Tom. I'm hide. <laughs> I guess. Um, Lady Victoria. Smite, smite, smite. No, I don't know. I don't know the answer. Okay, you're both wrong. The answer is Lady Victoria Marsham Hales. Wouldn't have got that. I would. I would not have got very, that. Very, very posh indeed. Was it even mentioned in the? Chino Rodney would have read that in his um, books book, wouldn't he? Okay, yes. is this my? Is this the question for me to win? Yes, this is Tom's winning question <coughs> or losing question or drawing question. Depends on how you look. Do you have sudden death ready? No, I have. We'd be here all night. We were dying. Go on then. Okay, Tom. Uh, hang on a second. What art school did Victoria attend in the episode The Royal Flush? Um, she attended the art school. Oh, do you know what she? She attended the art school in. Art school in. Um, I have to hurry you, Tom. I think she went to an art school in. Um, you need an answer now, Tom. <laughs> art school in Berkshire. I'm afraid no, that's wrong. Not. What is that? Andrew, do you, know, do you know the answer <clears throat> to this one? It's a European one. Oh, very good. You could potentially win this. No, no, it's handed over, remember? I didn't get it. No, it's true, you didn't get it. Yeah. Oh, be consistent. No, that is true. You, that can, is leave, true. you can leave if you have to go, go with Paris, but I don't think that's right. I'm afraid that's wrong. Good guess, but the answer is the Milan School of Arts. We need a we need a tiebreaker. Because they were going to she was gonna go to New York, wouldn't she? In the That's throwing a spanner in the works, isn't it? Okay. Right, tiebreaker. I got, I got, I got. Oh, Ed's okay, got we're going to hand you over to Ed for the tiebreaker question. Is this question. the first one to answer it? No. Okay, yeah, it's the first one to answer. Are you happy with that? Everybody? And also, can I just to check the rules, if you answer first and don't get it right, have you got to be mute or can you keep answering it until you get it? <laughs> well, I, I haven't don't know. that far ahead. <laughs> no, no, don't talk over each other. That'd be messy, I think. Just okay, okay, so. <coughs> Okay, in the episode To Hullenbach, what drink does Del Boy order for himself before meeting with Abdul and Boise? Uh, I know it. Tia Marie and Lucasade. No. I'm going to go Bailey's Cherry Aid. That is a drink he does have, but I don't think it's in that one. He's right, Ed. Yeah, sorry, Tom. Yeah, you are right. Tia Marie and Lucasade. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> can, I, can, I, can I just. I, Bizarrely, he Dell doesn't order that, does he? Rodney orders it for him. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Tom's going to get us on the technicality. Does that? Well, do you know what? In my head, I was thinking, I was thinking of the bit when actually he doesn't order, does he? Yeah. Rodney yeah. 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 Makes a face as if he's not. That's why I'd send in a Stuart inquiry. I'd do that. Well, I don't mind doing another question if you want to. Do another one, because to be fair. I'll tell you what, Andrew. You can think of one for us to answer if you want, just for the for the sake of it. Can you think of it? Can you think of a bit of trivia? Um, yeah, okay. Um, I think you'll get it. Um, uh, what's the name of the lawyer that represents Albert? Iggy Gins. So, 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 That's it, Solly Atwell. Solly Atwell. Yes. Iggy Gins. Iggy Gins. Iggy Gins. Iggy Gins. Iggy Gins. Iggy Gins. Iggy that's well, I answered your question right, but I was I was trying to be fair by saying Dell didn't actually order it. Andrew, thanks very much for coming on. Before before you go, Andrew, have you got, have you got an imp- have you got an impression you can do of any of the characters, and we'll we'll use it for the podcast. Any one line, you don't have to. But if you got a one liner, no pressure. <laughs> okay. Um... Well, my favourite is uh, Del Boy. It's lovely, jubbly, isn't it? Lovely, jubbly, isn't it? Classic. That'll do. Cheers, Andrew. Thanks very much for coming on, Cheers, mate. Andrew. Really appreciate no it. Worries. Nice one. Take care. Have, have a you. nice Christmas. Yeah. I was going to say, same to you. Same to- so the next episode, we're going to be talking about the second time around. Yes. Series one. Are we going to do this before Christmas? I'd like to. It might be just after Christmas, I think. 
We'll do a Christmas episode next time, then, shall we? Yeah. It'll be over the Christmas period. Yeah, and we uh, yeah we uh, could talk about what our favourite Christmas specials of Falls and Horses. Just we the idea is we do this chronologically, but since it's Christmas, we might talk about some of our favourite moments in other episodes, and you yeah, can uh, get involved as well. Keep a bit relaxed the next one. Yeah, talk about Christmas special or something. Sounds good to me. The Dragon Bailey. Yep, let's do yep. it. Merry Christmas to everyone. Big thank you to Daniel Hill. And Andrew Duthie. And uh, <clears throat> my Mrs. Lisa for doing the quiz. Yes, thank you, sir. And uh, just to remind everyone that Sebastian Hill is in Beauty and the Beast at the Thea- Shaw Theatre in London, where he's playing until the 30th of December, so get your tickets online. He's playing the Prince and, and the Beast. Yes. So it's like quite a cool role. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Have a good Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Ta-ra! Yo! <laughs> we got some half price crack dice and miles and miles of carpet tiles. TVs, deep freezing, David Bowie LBs. Ball games, gold chains, what's her name? Another person, Trevor Francis, tracks scenes from a motion shepherd's bush.